All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith on a day when we've got a great Monday morning show for you, including the Alaska loophole. Now, here's the deal with this. Americans crossing the border into Canada, some of them telling border officials they're just heading north to Alaska, just like that old song. They're just heading north to Alaska. Now, there's really a lot of evidence out there is kind of piling up that maybe some Americans who are heading north to Alaska and crossing the border, actually staying and traveling within Canada. Now, check this out. Police in Ontario, they just issued a pair of $1,000 fines to two American visitors who crossed into Canada. They failed to quarantine themselves for 14 days as required by law. In Alberta, the RCMP wrote up seven American tickets for Americans being on vacay in Banff, Alberta. Is this happening in British Columbia? Well, Premier John Horgan thinks it is. He is sounding the alarm on this. He's asking the feds for action on it. Here is what Premier John Horgan said about it. It's not just in Vancouver hotels. Uh, I represent the west coast of Vancouver Island, and I was speaking with uh, the local uh, chief of the Pachidat, and he tells me that uh, there was a license plate from Texas and a license plate from California at the uh, Port Renfrew General Store. And if you're heading to Alaska, you don't go through Port Renfrew. So we're concerned about uh, this uh, phenomenon, and we're hearing about it in communities right across the province. I've raised it with uh, the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, Christian Freeland, uh, and I'm hopeful that she'll take this up with uh, State Department authorities. For 15 weeks, I have maintained, and others have supported me across the country that our borders need to remain closed until the United States demonstrates that they have a handle uh, on this uh, pandemic. Uh, It's so critically important to British Columbia. We have worked very, very hard to get here. Frontline workers, healthcare workers have put themselves at risk to protect all of us and we do not want to throw that away for uh, queue jumpers, for people who want to uh, say they're going somewhere and, and do something else. Uh, if you want to get to Alaska, we don't, want to, we don't want to impede you, but you should go directly, do not pass go, go directly to Alaska. All right, it's Premier John Horgan the other day saying he wants the feds to crack down on it. Okay, we're hearing from more community leaders in British Columbia who are raising concerns about this issue, including my next guest, Jim Abram. He's a director of the Strathcona Regional District. I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Hiya, Jim. Good morning, Michael. Pleased to be back. Thanks a lot for coming on. Let's, Let's talk about what you're seeing in your community. What are you seeing? What are you hearing about this? Well... Uh, for the last number of days, weeks, whatever, it's been pretty much nothing but. And I'm really glad to see that the Premier has jumped on board with us and is uh, having, you know, similar thoughts about this queue jumping, uh, this Alaska loophole. What a bunch of nonsense. Um, anyway, the what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of out-of-province, uh, basically U.S., plates on cars and people are questioning why are those people here i thought the border was closed well it is closed and uh some of those vehicles may have it is possible that they have legitimate reasons that are legal for them to be here but there's a whole bunch that may not be legal and may not be um okay to be here and that needs to be tightened up needs to be tightened up at the border. John Horgan says that's a provincial response or a federal responsibility. Well, great. Then let's get on the feds, get them off their butts at the border saying, we want to see some proof. Where are you going? What are you doing? If you're going someplace for a three-day 
long weekend holiday in BC, you're not going to quarantine for 14 days. I'm sorry. Doesn't add up. Math isn't there. So, you know, this whole thing about um, going to Alaska, okay, if that's the case, then when you come across the border, let's have a check-in system that corresponds with a check-out system right. at the Alaska border that maybe you have a sticker on your car or something that says, hey, I'm traveling to Alaska, leave me alone. And people can go to Alaska. But the people that are not going to Alaska, that are just coming here and holidaying and possibly, possibly bringing this dread pandemic disease called COVID-19 that we have fought so hard and have risked so many lives, in BC, frontline worker lives, to bring that curve down that Bonnie Henry has talked about so much, stay home, stay safe. Um, Well, we've been doing that, and we have been very successful, I believe. Uh, We're not perfect, but we're getting there, and we sure as hell don't want to see tens of thousands of new cases per day like we're seeing in states like Washington, like California, like other states, Texas, Florida, et cetera, where these things are happening, and those people are trying to, pardon me, escape. They would like to get away from their own country, and I don't blame them. I would, too. Okay. Speaking of of Jim Abrams, Strathcona Regional District, I, I believe that this is happening to some degree. I'm just trying to figure out what is reasonable assumption that the scale of it. Like, we've already seen police in other provinces write up tickets to Americans who have crossed the border and go on vacation, and they're not self-isolating, they're not following the rules. So we know it's happening. It's it's just a question of the degree to which it's happening. When, when you speak to your people and your constituents there, Jim, in, in the area that you represent in, in British Columbia, like, what is your perception of how widespread this is? Like, how, how often are you hearing about this? What kind of numbers are we talking about here? Well, I'm, I'm hearing about it daily. I mean, there's no yeah. doubt about that. What kind of numbers? Who knows? Could be tens, could be dozens. I'm not sure what the exact number is. Nobody's keeping count. Now, is there a way to keep count? Well, sure, there's the border. They have to take two ferries to get to Quadra Island. Uh, Ferry terminals are very highly electronically equipped. They could very easily take snapshots of license plates and just count them up at the end of the day. How many people have come in? to BC uh, via ferry, and just turn that over to the Canadian Border Inspection Agency. Let them deal with it. It's a federal issue. Okay. Not, BC ferries are not cops. Okay, like you mentioned, a federal issue. If, when you talk to the Canada Border Services Agency about this, which is the federal agency responsible, they will say that the rules are that you can't do this. You can't lie to a border official and then go on vacay in Canada or whatever. The rules are that... The border is closed to non-essential travel. However, healthy, I'm looking at a statement from the Border Service Agency, healthy, non-symptomatic foreign nationals traveling through Canada for non-discretionary purchases, uh, purposes, such as traveling to Alaska, may transit through Canada. Upon their arrival, they must, uh, they are required to substantiate their purpose for going to Alaska, unquote. So the feds are saying, Jim, that when people get to the border 
and before they're allowed into Canada, they have to, they do have to give a reason or show some proof about where they're going and what they're doing. But you're saying that what there should be a tougher system, right? I'm saying that I would like to see that publicized. I'd like to see that proven to the rest of us that are seeing the license plates on the road. We'd like to see how much of that is really true. We're seeing license plates that have been here for many, many, many months, okay? Some of them are very legitimate. They were here, some of them, before COVID. But we also have regulations in B.C. and in other provinces that say you, after uh, so many months, and here it's three months, you have to go and get a B.C. license plate. Your insurance may or may not be valid. Well, I can't Mm -hmm. drive... Here in B.C., I can't drive a B.C. car without valid insurance. Can a person from Florida come to B.C. and be here for six months on a, you know, just vacationary kind of thing and drive that vehicle without insurance, basically, and get in an accident? What happens then? Here's what I like. I like your idea about some sort of a check-in, check-out system. Like if you get to the border and you say, I'm just driving straight to Alaska, all right, then you have to check in and then check out when you leave the country. And if you're overdue, uh, then they maybe come looking for you. I think that would be a pretty simple system to put in place. All right, welcome back as we continue talking about American border crossers, the Alaska loophole. How big of a problem is this? BC Premier John Horgan thinks it's big enough. He has complained to the feds about it. My guest is Jim Abram. He is a director of the Strathcona Regional District. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898, toll free on your cell. Let's go to your phone calls right now. Richard in Richmond, hi. Yes, hello. Uh, For those... Oh boy, I think we lo- did we I think we lost Richard there. I'll try and get him back on the line. In the meantime, let's go to Steve in Surrey. Hi, Steve. Hi, how are you, Mike? I'm good. I'm good. Go ahead. Good. Um so yeah, I think uh you know, I mean the border crossing or sorry, the US crossing, they're very harsh. I mean, let's just say you went there, they asked you if you ever smoked marijuana and you did maybe when you were eighteen. You're banned for life. Yeah. I mean, these guys <laughs> are now putting us all at risk uh with a harmful disease. And we're basically doing nothing. I mean, are you a thousand dollar fine? Come on, give them, give them that thousand dollar fine. Escort them to the border and ban them for five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like a thousand dollar fine. Thank you very much for the call. A thousand dollar fine. Like if you were trying to get out of the United States, Jim, and and like as you put it, escape. And I can sort of understand the desire to do that with, with the COVID numbers that are spiking south of the border. So if you were thinking to yourself, I'm going to go to Canada and chill out for a little while, I'm not sure you'd be too worried about a $1,000 fine. But your thoughts on the penalty? Possibly not. But, uh, you know, that $1,000 fine escalates um, with different circumstances, clear up to a million dollars and possible imprisonment. So, you know, there are there are ways to twist people's arms, and all it takes is one or two or three examples to be made of people that are breaking the law. I'm not talking about the legal people that have a legitimate reason for being here with a plate from the states. I'm talking about the illegitimate legitimate ones. They have got to be tossed back, just like was said. You smoke pot, try and cross the border, you're banned yeah. for life. Right. 
Right. Yeah. No, they are very tough going the other way. That is for sure. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898, toll free on yourself. Let's try Richard again here. Hi, Richard. Hello. Uh, hello. Um, you know what you do is for Americans who wish to go to Alaska, you have to fly to Alaska. It's, you can't drive through Canada until further notice. That will help mm. out Canada Customs without playing guessing games. That's going to protect us from the Americans who are coming infected. And that's going to protect the Americans who are here legitimately. So until further notice, you've got to fly to Alaska. Okay, Jim, what do you think of that? That's a good point. And there's also the other option is to leave through Bellingham, which is in the States. They don't have to cross the border. They can go to Bellingham, get on one of the Alaska ferries, and go all the way to Alaska without ever stopping in Canada. Oh, okay. So you can catch a you can catch a ferry out of Bellingham and go straight to Alaska. That's wow. correct. Once a week, uh, both ways. Okay, interesting. Six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight is the number to call. Star ninety eight ninety eight. Toll free on your cell. John in White Rock. Hi. Hey, brother. How's it going, Mike? Love the show. Love the way you keep people honest. Thank you. Uh, gotta say, I got an easy solution here, man. We have the technology. Give each pe- each person coming across a GPS. Give them a direct oh. route, maybe a couple other options, a reasonable timeline to get there, you know, an expectation that they, they you know, that's a long drive, right? Yeah. Give them a reasonable expectation to get there. If they fail to show up, we have a GPS tracker. If they tamper with the device, instant five-year ban. If they delay getting to the border, they have some serious explaining to do. If the delay is too long, another five-year board, border ban. We got to stop messing around with this. Okay. It's not reasonable to expect people to fly all the way up to or take a five hundred dollar ferry in their car and everything. I, I don't. I don't have a problem people driving. We're adults. We're social distancing. We're supposed to. But for the deviant ones that like to push the boundaries and stuff, let's hold them accountable. We have the technology. It's not expensive. You got Trudeau at the trough, troughing money out like crazy. <laughs> Little few devices, problem solved. Okay, thank you for the call. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's not rocket science. Uh, I, I kind of like the, the idea that you had about just a sticker on your window, uh, Jim. Let's squeeze in another couple of calls. Neil on the open line. Hey, Neil. Hi there. I'll just echo the sticker and the GPS. Uh, the stickers do not everyone's calling in, reporting on the car. And the GPS, they're so cheap now. Just track them. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, you could put you could put a GPS app on your phone or something, and probably track it that way. Ron in the Nimo, squeezing one more. Hi, Ron. Hello there. Hi. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I, a friend of mine was up in uh, Caribou, and he said there was all kinds of license plates up. He stayed in the resort there for a week just to get away for a while. Oh. And there's U.S. cars everywhere. I mean, those people have been fishing in the. BC lakes for years. Don't sure. don't you think that automatically just flipped into their head? Let's get up to Canada go fishing. No, I know. Where would you rather be? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can, I can, and I mean, yeah. God, why do we why do we have a two or three government guys going through there and old trucks just nosing around? You'd find yeah, a ton questions. of them. Yeah, you probably would. Thank you for the call. All right, Jim, we got thirty seconds here. Where do you want to see this go? I mean, Horgan has asked for a tougher crackdown. What what did the, what do you think the province or the Fed should do? We got thirty seconds. Well, they, I mean, they absolutely have to have tougher crackdown. And the one thing that didn't get mentioned is boaters. We're a marine community, all hmm. the way to the coast, coast to coast, and uh, marinas are full of American boats. What are their criteria at the border from coming from the states? into Canada and exiting 
in Alaska or not, just hanging out in Canada. Jim, thank you. They're here, they're everywhere, they're uh, possibly infected, possibly not, but as a compassionate nation, you know, we try and just sort of turn a blind eye and say, yeah, sure, but... Uh, this is life and death. We're in a pandemic. Thank you, Jim. I hate to step on you, but we're out of time. I like the way you're speaking out on it. Thank you for coming on. All right. Welcome back. Let's talk about controversial sports team names now and mascots as well. And this is an issue that's been around for a long time, but there's definitely a renewed focus on it in the aftermath of the anti-racism rallies, which we continue to see across the United States and here in Canada as well. The Black Lives Matter uh, movement and take a look at what's going on. The Washington Redskins in the NFL. This is a team that's been under pressure for years to change their name. And the owner of the team, Dan Snyder, for so long has just been saying, no, this is tradition. This is legacy. We're not going to change the name of the team, which has been there for decades. But once the sponsors, the corporate sponsors start threatening to drop out, Money talks, especially in America, and now they are doing a review of the Washington Redskins team name. I bet you they will change that name for sure, I think. The Cleveland Indians, that's another one. Their mascot, Chief Wahoo. This is all under the microscope now. The Atlanta Braves and their fans, Tomahawk Chop. Should that be dropped as well? How about the Chicago Blackhawks and the National Hockey League? They're under pressure to change their name and their team logo. That's an historic uh, NHL team, franchise, and jersey, uh, long regarded as a very attractive uh, team jersey for the Blackhawks. I I bet you they'll be forced possibly to drop that as well. Here in Canada, the Edmonton Eskimos and the CFL, under pressure to change their name. Simon Fraser University and their team named the Clan, the Klansmen, the Clan Women. They, They are saying now that they will drop that name as well. A lot of very rapid changes in the works there. Let's have a listen to this. Here is Andrew Brandt from Sports Illustrated talking about the Redskins controversy. We're in a different climate. We're in a different atmosphere. And these owners that had never pressured, and that may be too strong a word, Mr. Snyder to change the name of his team may be taking a different tact right now. Here's the refrain I get. Where does it end? We may be getting into a slippery slope. All right, let's check in now with Professor Norm O'Reilly. He is the director of the International Institute for Sport, Business, and Leadership at the University of Guelph. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Norm, thanks for coming on again. Mike, my pleasure. Glad to be here. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, this is something I remember talking about the Washington Redskins uh, controversy over the team name years and years ago. This has been going on for a long time, and the owner of the team hadn't didn't want to budge. Now it seems like they're getting ready to move. What has changed here? What's going on? Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and I mean, as, as you know, in, in the academic circles, we've called for this for a long time from, sure. as you just outlined, gender and race and culture. But it really takes, you know, a, a movement and, 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 and people, consumers, if you will, fans, if you will, demanding this. And as you well articulated in your, in your introduction, there's been a huge shift in the last, you know, um, I don't know, three or four weeks with the yeah. Black Lives Matter campaign. And, and now it's, it's really, it's not even a, a question of if, it's a question of when. Like if you've got a name that borders on a discrimination against any group at all, uh, I mean, I don't think society is going to put up with that anymore. And, and as you pointed out, it's now a matter of, 
figure out the best way to, to maintain your brand and switch your brand and do that in, in, in a very positive way as opposed to pushing back and saying no. Okay, when you listen to a guy like Dan Snyder, who's the owner yes. of the Washington Redskins name, and he's been under pressure on this for years and just hasn't budged an inch for so long, and the usual comeback is that this is about legacy, this is about heritage, that team has been named the Washington Redskins for, what I don't know, 90, 100 years or something? Like, it's been around a long time. Does that mm-hmm. hold any water? I mean, if a team's name has been in place, like the Chicago Blackhawks is another one, the Cleveland Indians, these are these are names that have been around for decades and decades. D- does that hold any weight? Does it matter if it if a name has been around for a long time? Does it become kind of a, an historic or l- legacy issue? It, I mean, it, it used to. And it's interesting, like in, in business school, we often, we've done case studies where you have two sides of the class argue the merits of, of going both ways. But as society has shifted, and I mean, we've seen these in any of these categories of gender, of race, of, I think of Aboriginal views in Canada and the U.S., et cetera, have shifted over time. It, it, yeah, I mean, you have to try to find a way to to main, maybe maintain that heritage, perhaps. And that's what I think from what Dan Snyder is saying they're doing now is they're investigating, you know, what kind of name could they change to? Is there some kind of name that would be politically correct and, and non-offensive to groups, but that would also maybe find a way to link into that heritage? Could that be done through color structures or or looks or but done in a positive way. And even even another way, can you even think about pivoting so that you flip in a totally different direction so it's very positive? You don't just go from getting rid of an offensive name, but you jump to a whole other level. Think what the NBA is doing with their jerseys now and adding, you know, a a very powerful um, wordage as opposed to the names of the players. So can you find a positive way to pivot and maybe even align yourself with some of these issues after for many years being viewed as against it. But yeah, to your, and to your question, though, clearly a brand has a lot of value, and we yeah. work as organizations to build those. So you do want to maintain it, but I, I don't think that's even a debate anymore. I think you agreed in your intro in, in the current reality. How much does how much does money talk in these equations? Like for a long time, maybe mm-hmm. like corporate sponsors were kind of just turning a blind eye to this controversy. Maybe it didn't reach the level that it's reached now. Now we see a lot of investment firms encouraging big corporations like Nike, Pepsi, uh, FedEx to end their relationship with the Washington Redskins unless they change the name. I mean, when you get these big corporations or big advertisers involved and upset, I mean, that's what, that's what I think is the real tipping point. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, 100%. I mean, and they talk loud to answer yeah. your question. I mean, and it's not just now. I mean, we could go back to think about doping and how we kind of, like, no one really cared that much. And all of a sudden, when, like, the Nikes, you know, disassociated from athletes like Lance Armstrong, boom. Think about how athletes and their, you know, their – they're off the court behaviors. And so when sponsors kind of put along with it, but then think about Tiger Woods and Kobe Bryant and some of their issues and sponsors dissociated when there was even accusations around them. So there's a lot of history and they have a lot of influence. I mean, networks as well and television contracts, a lot of, lot of influence. So yeah, no question. It's very, very powerful. And they're responding to their viewers, their followers, their buyers, their purchasers to the reflection of society, right? What about when uh, owners of teams make the argument that, let's say, if it, when you have an indigenous lo- logo or a First Nations logo like Indians or Redskins, Blackhawks, that this is actually done, the names are meant to honor uh, indigenous tribes or First Nations, na- First Nations, and that 
you know, guys like Dan Snyder, I remember him talking about some of the polling that the Washington Redskins had done in the past among Native Americans who said, oh, actually, they don't really mind the name and they think it's actually a way of honoring them. Uh, does that hold any water at all? I mean, uh, or is that just an argument that's kind of gone out the window very quickly? Well, I think you think it's, yeah, I mean, there's probably something there. I mean, certainly Redskins has got negative connotations oh, yeah. to it. And certainly in, in, in Indians is, you know, depends how you use it in a sentence. And, and then, but the current trend is certainly much more sensitive and, and, and anything, you know, just the way society is going. So yeah, I, I think you said it well in the intro that it's a bit of a scale, right? Like there's clearly not all negativity is the same level. And you could use that for many things we analyze. Like, so there's, there's probably a scale and a certain threshold yeah. point where you get into neutrality and then a certain point where you'd hit a positivity response. That's what I was kind of saying before. When you think about if you, if you do agree, which I would say they all should, like you gave the, uh, the SFU example already, which is smart, but then can you yeah. just change to something neutral or can you actually change and flip to something that even on the other side that's more positive and supportive? So as you're saying, if your research or your survey showed that this is a name that, hey, people, this, is, this is celebratory or it's positive and, and you're certain of that, you, that's a big risk to take in the current environment. But if you're absolutely 100% certain that could actually be a pivot yeah. that could generate you new fans, new following, new sponsors, which could be very positive, right? Okay, speaking to Normal Riley, University of Guelph, he's the director of the International Institute for, for Sport Business. What about some of these uh, the other name controversies that we're seeing? How about the Edmonton Eskimos in the Canadian Football League? Should they change their name? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, right? Like, and you think as an Eskimo, is that a negative term? And if you had asked me that question five years ago, I'd have a much more different answer than, than today. I, I think in today, you've got to look at it. And you'd have to, and as you pointed out, like, would you do some research? And you'd say, all right, you know, is, is there a negative connotations here that, that we could get in trouble with down the road? Can we look really good to our fans and everyone and do it? I mean, there's a brand that got so many great cups and history. And you think about what it means to the city and most people, as you pointed out earlier, these names lose any kind of meaning outside of being the name of the team, even though the population is outside of the fan base, they can have a very different meaning. And I don't know. I honestly don't know if that's a negative or positive term. I don't know if you do. You may, you may want to have a sociologist on uh, to talk about that if it bothers those populations. I'd, I'd have a really close look. And as you pointed out, do some really deep research to see if there is negativity. And maybe if, if it is in a neutral area or it's, it's close, maybe there's an opportunity to rebrand slightly in a more positive way, right? It's maybe you can add an adjective in front of the word Eskimos that makes it more positive. And then you can maintain that brand, but you pivot to something positive, And all of a sudden, everyone's talking about what the Edmonton CFL Club did to recognize this, these, these social movements and also honor their brand. So I think you want to look at these very strategically and very intelligently, right? All right, welcome back as we continue talking about uh, sports team names, the Washington Redskins, Cleveland Indians, Chicago Blackhawks, here in Canada, the Edmonton Eskimos, my guest, Normal Riley, University of Guelph. Let's take a few phone calls. we got lots of them. Rob in Squamish. Hi, Rob. Hello there. Hi, right, go ahead. I, I just wanted to say, for, sh for sure, Washington should change their name. Yeah. Um, the difference between Edmonton and Cleveland is Edmonton never had a parody or a caricature mascot. It yeah. was always the double E. Yeah. And I, I think that's a difference. They never tried to 
put something out in the community that might be considered offensive as opposed to what Washington has. Um, I mean, if you and think the about it. And the Cleveland Indians had that chief Wahoo, yeah, that, yeah, that caricature that, of, a, of a Native American. It was ridiculous. Yeah, that yeah. for sure. And, and I know they're getting rid of it. Yes, they I, are. I always thought they could change their name to the Indigo, for example, and move on. And Washington could become the Red Sox and just move on. Um, yeah, I think and, move on is a good idea. Thank you for the call. I mean, you know, Norm, one thing occurs to me is like, who, who really cares about the name of the team? I mean, does it really matter that, you know, like I, I think back to uh, the Vancouver Millionaires. They re- they won the Stanley Cup. You know, does anyone care that the Vancouver's NHL team is not named the Millionaires anymore? Or that the Toronto Maple Leafs used to be called the Toronto St. Patrick's? I mean, who cares about the name? Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. I think, the, and the comment was great too. I think there's a couple of things. One is, if that's true, who cares about the name? Then why maintain and fight for a name that's offensive to certain groups? And so that's one thing. The other thing is, then why not create a name that's, you know, that's positive for certain groups? And then why do we hang on to them? So people attach themselves to brands that got their merchandise. And, and I hear the comment on the Eskimos. I think the yeah. thing that, that jumped out at me is that when he was talking there, and I think I would have felt exactly the same way a few years ago. But all of a sudden, like, look at these lists that are coming out now, like with the Black Lives Matter campaign, these expressions that I've used for years, we've all used. And, and people say, hey, you can't say that anymore because this has an underlying racial overtone or comes from history, history around slavery, etc. So yeah. for you and me as a white North American um, or, you know, that and this is our view and white males, especially yeah. we have this kind of view. Hey, what does that matter? But if you're from a marginalized group like the Inuit might be and they see and they believe that the Eskimo term is used you know, in a negative way, I don't I have no expertise to comment on that. Then, that's, yeah. then you have to consider that, right? And I think a few years ago, that was just one point of view from one stakeholder group, and let's just move on in other directions. But the world has shifted drastically yeah. in the last three weeks, and, and sponsors are pulling their money, and people are getting yeah. angry. Do you want, like, a, you're a home opener. Do you want, like, a 1,000 people protesting out front? So you start thinking about this thing, and that's smart business, smart marketing, right, as you shift as society shifts. I mean, another thing, great example is like from politics is, you know, all the, the negativity against Sir John A. Macdonald that came out yeah. recently when yeah. we put a, a lens from 2020 or 2019 on stuff that happened in the 1800s. And that's what we do as society. So I think thinking about it in that way, you think, you know what, you should really, as the Eskimos, you should really look at this and say, hey, do we have an opportunity to get out ahead of this? Can we maintain our double E brand? Can we maintain our wonderful history? But may we find a way to celebrate with the Inuit people? And uh, and I don't know. I don't know the yeah, specifics of your market and the context, but that's, that's where one. I would go. Let's go to Rob on the open line in Surrey. Hi, Rob. Hey, Mike. I've got the solution for the plan. I hope they're listening because it's going to cost them 10 bucks. We're going to call them the Simon Fraser Scots. And we're going to have a logo that has a male, aggressive, pumped-up male and female pipers. The, this, the Simon Fraser, what was the name you had uh, You had in mind? S-C-O-T-S. Scotch. Oh, the Scotch. The Scotch. Okay. Okay. The Scots, yeah. Um, yeah, the Simon Fraser University one, 
Uh, Norm, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, they say they're going to change that name. I mean, they say that when they say the clan, they're not talking about the Ku Klux Klan, okay? They're talking about the you know the Scottish clans, all right? But still, yeah. when whenever the SFU team went, especially play in the United States, they got just mercilessly heckled down there. I feel sorry for them. It's it's one of those things where you I mean universities and I. You got thirty. I we have thirty seconds, Norm. Thirty seconds. Yeah. So sorry. So I've worked in universities, U.S. and Canada. We're hypersensitive. We're hyper politically correct. A lot of people say that to us. It's surprising to me that a university would still have that name when yeah, all the other candidates have changed decades yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good idea to change that one. Thanks for your expertise today. Thanks for having me. One of the hottest topics we covered on the show last week was that fatal pit bull attack in Kamloops the other day and renewed calls for a pit bull ban after that fatal attack uh, by this particular breed of dog. Should those dogs be banned? Now, Bill Thielman, the well-known commentator, was my guest on the show. He's been a longtime advocate for a pit bull ban. He made his case on the show last week. Here's what he told me. Well, I was saddened by it, of course, and this one's uh, like many of these attacks, Mike, is particularly tragic because this wasn't uh, this was a resident's friend. Uh, so right. the dog is is in the home. Uh, someone comes to visit, and the dog attacks the dog and kills the man. Oh. And we see these stories over and over. Uh, I, I'm un- really, unfortunately, a lot of them in the United States. Uh, 30 to 50 kind of attacks like this that are fatals, and a lot of them are children. Uh, and I think we've been fortunate in British Columbia that we haven't lost a child yet. But I, you know, when I was writing for 24 Hours Vancouver a newspaper in the Taiyi, I got an exclusive story of a, a young woman whose uh, six-year-old was playing in Crab Park, and they were walking home, in this, and they had their dog with them, a little dog, and this pit bull just bounded right across the park and attacked the little girl, bit her in the face, bit her in the leg. Uh, we had pictures of it. And, um, you know, so these, I fear that uh, it will take a child dying in British Columbia before politicians will be willing to take on what is a very strong pit bull lobby, has a lot of supporters, and they are absolutely opposed to what I think is necessary, which is a ban on the breed. All right, as Bill Thielman on last week's show, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm still getting calls, tweets, emails about that segment. One of the callers on the open line last week was Rebecca Bretter, the well-known animal rights lawyer, and I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. We get a fuller take from her. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Mike. Thanks a lot for, for having me on and my take on this. Yeah, you bet. Tell me, tell me what you think about this. Well, first of all, let me start by saying that I I do think this is a tragic incident. I feel yeah. terrible about what happened, and something like this shouldn't happen. But, but, and I knew you knew there was a but coming, yeah. but even in the worst cases like this, we cannot jump to conclusions. First of all, we cannot jump to the conclusion that the dog was a pit bull. How do we actually know that the dog was a pit bull? And even if we knew that the dog was a pit bull, the answer to dog aggression problems is not a ban on the breed. There's a saying that I've come to learn in in the line of work that I do, and it's ban the deed, not the breed. And what that essentially means is ban and really regulate and enforce uh, laws that have to do with irresponsible pet ownership, not the breed itself. The problem with specific um, breed legislation is that it's way too general and it's unenforceable. And let me just give you a very quick definition. This is the Burnaby Animal Control Bylaw. This is an example of uh, a pit bull 
uh, it's not a ban, but it, it does um, it does make laws specifically uh, about pit bulls, and it's very yeah. similar to some other jurisdictions that have a ban on pit bulls. And what it says is that a vicious dog is a Staffordshire Bull Terrier, an American Bull Terrier, and any dog generally recognized as a pit bull, pit bull or pit bull terrier, and includes a mixed breed with predominant pit bull characteristics. Now, I'm a lawyer. I have no idea what that means. Does that mean that any dog that is kind of short, a bit stocky, a bigger head, like uh, a bull mastiff, an English bulldog, a boxer, a lab mixed with a boxer, a lab mixed with a bulldog, you know, I could go on and on. And the problem is, is that uh, when we say pit bull, what does that actually mean? Technically, there is a definition to what a pit bull is, and that's an American pit bull terrier or it's Staffordshire pit bull terrier or bull terrier rather, or an American Staffordshire terrier. But unless you have DNA evidence that shows that it's a pit bull dog, we are overgeneralizing uh, the word pit bull. And what that does is that it essentially punishes good dog owners, not yeah. the bad ones. Because for every so-called, and I say so-called pit bull, because we don't really know if the dog is a pit bull. So for every pit bull attack and vicious incident, there are many pit bull type dogs that are amazing family pets and amazing dogs in general. So we have jurisdictions, you know, Vancouver being one of them, that reversed pit bull uh, bans in 2005. In 2009, right. North Vancouver reversed, Delta reversed, Cascog, Cumberland, Coquitlam, White Rock. Why, why did they? Rever- why did all those jurisdictions reverse the ban? Was it was it the problems in enforcing it because of the yes. ambigu- ambiguities with the breed you mentioned there? Yeah. Well, part of it is yeah. the the difficulty in enforcing it. Ontario yeah. also has a province wide pit bull ban, but it right. is seriously considering reversing it. But yeah, that's part of the problem is that it's very difficult to enforce. The other a significant part to that is that it doesn't actually deal with the problem itself. The problem itself is that you do, and I'm not saying that all dogs are amazing as much as I love dogs and animals. I'm not saying that all dogs are amazing and, and there's absolutely no vicious dog out there. Of course there is. But what we need to do is to actually address the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is not the breed. The root of the problem is that the way people handle these animals, the knowledge of these people, just the way they are with the animals. So we could look okay. to a city close to us. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, I'm just going to say that I think you raised some good points there about the difficulty in defining exactly what this breed is. But I think if you use a measurement of, of let's say, some basic common sense, I mean, I think I think most people, if they saw a pit bull on being walked down the street, they would recognize and understand what, what a pit bull dog is. Most people know what that is. And if, if you take a look at um, some of the statistics in, in the United States, for example, so there, there's a website called dogsbite.org, which, which tracks mm-hmm. fatal dog attacks in the United States. Now, mm-hmm. if you take a look at that website, it tracks a 14-year period between 2005 and 2018, 471 fatal dog attacks in the United States, it's a pretty stunning number, and that pit bull dogs contribute to about two-thirds of that, 66% of those deaths. Is that not some pretty compelling evidence that this is a dangerous breed of dog? Absolutely not. And I'm so glad that you brought up that website because that website comes up a lot. 
And the huge problem with that website, it's first of all, not credible at all. That website and all of these so-called reports, the majority of them are media reports. So like similar to the Kamloops incident, right? The media reports are saying that someone said that the dog is a pit bull. We don't know if that dog is a pit bull. There is nothing that indicates that dog is a pit bull. It could very easily have been a mixed boxer with bulldog or a lab mixed with boxer or bull mastiff mixed with whatever other dog that has similar characteristics. So I actually disagree that the average person could walk down the street and say, oh, yeah, that's a pit bull. When we know there are studies that show in in the United States where animal control officers, so these are people who are supposed to know what breed of dogs are and, you know, they're supposed to know about dogs. And time and time over again, they were mistaken into believing that a certain dog was a pit bull. And, you know, and let me just say there's absolutely no scientific evidence. And when I say scientific, I mean peer-reviewed scientific evidence. I don't mean just some people telling a reporter or telling an animal control officer what they saw. I'm talking about scientists who actually say that, yes, pit bulls are are vicious or that pit bulls, you know, a common myth, I have to say this, a very common myth is, oh, but their bite pressure is so hard. They're so, you know, even if they are potentially great, if they do damage, they cause the worst damage. And that's actually not true. There's very little published scientific literature that shows meaningful comparison of biting power of various breeds. And the little bit of scientific evidence that is out there, and I mean peer-reviewed, so credible scientific evidence, actually shows that German Shepherds and Rottweilers have mm-hmm. a much higher uh, bite okay. pressure than pit bulls. All right, welcome back to the show. As we continue talking about that uh, fatal dog attack in Kamloops the other day and calls for a pit bull ban once again in British Columbia, 604-280-9898 is the number to call. 604 280 star 9898 on your cell let's go to greg on the open line in surrey hi greg oh sorry let's go to rebecca on the open line another rebecca hi rebecca oh hello there hi uh this is uh dr rebecca ledger i'm um a behaviorist in vancouver and uh yeah very, very intrigued by your story thanks for having me on sure what would you like to say well, first of all, um, I, I would like to very much um, support what Rebecca Breda has said regarding the um, the legalities of breed-specific legislation. They are difficult to enforce, and that's part of the reason why they don't work. Um, and one of the things I just wanted to um, reiterate is that there have been, I did a literature review on this just a few months ago, and there are more than 20 studies worldwide that have looked at the incidence of bites from dogs, serious bites from dogs, um, before and after breed-specific legislation has been introduced. And out of all of those studies, only one found that it led to a reduction in dog bites. So breed-specific legislation, um, probably partly uh, due to the fact it is so difficult to enforce, it has been proven time and time again to be ineffective. Um, There are other more effective, uh, proven to be effective solutions that can reduce dog bites like owner education and dealing with the people that are breeding the most aggressive dogs to start with. And I 
do a lot of work for the cities and municipalities across BC. And what I find is that often when we see dogs that have caused serious injury, they're often related and they're being bred for aggression by very specific individuals. So they are, you know, they, they, they do not paint a picture of how pit bulls are across the province. There are some, um, some very aggressive individuals out there for sure, but they're few and far between and they're typically just bred by the same people. Okay, th- thank you very much for calling in. Rebecca Bretter, uh, you mentioned that there is a pit bull ban in place in Ontario that's uh, up for a review. What has been the impact of that ban in Ontario? Did the number of fatal attacks or bites go down? No, I mean, from what we know is that is that the seriousness of dog bites, and that has, has not gone down. And what that shows is that banning pit bulls makes an iota of a difference. And bottom line is, I want to reiterate what Dr. Ledger just said. I I completely agree. What we need to do, the solution to dog aggression is not banning a breed. The solution to that is to shift to a responsible pet ownership model, very similar to the way the city of Calgary has done. And it has been super successful in reducing the number of dog bites, not because they banned a breed and they haven't. What they've done is it takes some time to implement but they've made sure that education is part of the plan where kids are educated how to approach dogs. People are educated about how to train their dogs. That there's legislation targeting known risk factors and behaviors. So what that means is if there's a dog that repeatedly bites or repeatedly acts in an aggressive manner, that those dog owners uh, take the precautions necessary and if need to be penalized, they're penalized. Licensing, tattooing. You know, all of this comes in a big, in a bigger package, which has much better long-term uh, positive implications Good. on reducing aggression in dogs and, and dog bites. Okay, let's go to some other calls here. Greg on the open line in Surrey. Hi, Greg. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Go ahead. Uh, frankly, I, like, I was chased by one of these dogs as a kid, and that was a Roddy Cross pit bull, and that was the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced in my life. I hate these dogs. I said, th- you know, it, it, right now we're arguing semantics about what the dog is. Oh, maybe it's got massive. I don't care if it's got Chihuahua in it. It's, it's got broad shoulders, a big head, and looks like it can bench press 150 pounds. All right. We all know what these dogs look like. Frankly, every single one of them should be gone. I don't know why people continue to buy them. I don't know why they're still out there. These things are aggressive looking animals. I put them right in the same category as Rottweilers. I have no idea why we have Rottweilers okay, out okay, and about. Okay. These things are crazy. Okay, thanks for the call. Rebecca Bretter, what do you say to that? Well, the reason why people continuing adopting or, or buying uh, Rottweilers and pit bull-type dogs is because they tend to be amazing, gentle, loyal, good dogs. That's why. And it's not to say that there aren't any bad dogs out there. There are. But again, don't, don't, it's, some, it's don't so, some people buy them because they want to make some kind of statement or look tough yeah. or it's, it's, some, it's just yeah. some kind of status symbol? I don't know. Yeah, you're right. They do. Yeah. And the thing is, though, if you ban the pit bull, those types of individuals are just going to turn to another type of breed yeah. that makes them feel and look the same way. And so what, we're going to start banning that breed as well? No. Oh. Again, you deal with just like any other problem in the world. You deal. You don't want a Band-Aid solution. You want to okay. deal with the root of the problem. Let's squeeze in another call here. Shauna uh, in Tawasin. Hi. Hi. Um, I just, I have to agree with everything that the last couple callers and Rebecca has said. Yeah. Um, it's not, 
uh, I, I was, I love Rottweilers. I used to have a Rottweiler cross lab shepherd. She was amazing. Um, I was walking down the street one day years ago, just minding my own business, had a baseball hat on. A lady was walking towards me with her Rottweiler. The Rottweiler jumped up and bit me on the shoulder. Mm. Um, it, it hurt. It startled me. It scared me. But I, I, just, I don't, she was shocked that the dog did it. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't staring the dog down. Maybe the dog didn't like hats or something. Who did knows? That change, did that change your mind about Rottweilers? Absolutely not. It's all individuals. I also had a friend that had a Rottweiler. This dog was the sweetest girl, but he wanted her for protection. He wanted her to be the bad one. He wanted her for the looks. And he hated that this dog loved all us girls that would come and visit and stuff. (laughs) It, It was, you know, just like the people that want the pit bulls and whatnot to be the big, tough, scary one. They're they're not. Okay, Shauna, thank thank you for the call. I hate to step on you there, but we're out of time. Rebecca Bretter, thank you for being on the show today. We got everybody talking again. Appreciate it. Thanks so much.